0: All right, if you would, turn in the Bible to Revelation chapter 12. We have another great scene
1: coming up in chapter 12 of Revelation. Lots of fascinating characters today in this chapter, in this passage. we've often experienced that life can be difficult, challenging, trying, upsetting, hurtful. We say with quite frequency that life is hard. And trying to kind of diagnose why is life so hard for me uh, isn't isn't that simple. There's a lot going on in life, some of it. Our foolish things we've done, decisions we've made. Uh, some of it is uh, our own fault. But there's a whole other side of life, of things that are going on and things that are happening to us that have nothing to do with our control, outside of our control. And the believer, the Christian, the one who looks to Jesus and hopes in him and follows him with all of his life, the believer has to understand both of that. We have to admit that if I don't look to God and let him lead me and seek his wisdom on what to do and what not to do, I will end up in some bad spots. I'll find myself in positions that I don't want to be in and hurting people or being hurt by people that could have been avoided. And so we want to learn how to live lives that honor God and build people up and protect ourselves, put ourselves in good spots. But for that other aspect of life, that other angle, we also need to be prepared, on guard and understanding. A large part of what is happening in your life and in our world is the great devil in opposition to God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, seeking to ruin things, seeking to get His own glory, to bring division, to bring death, to bring hurt in your own person, inside of you, in your soul, in your heart, and in your mind, in your family, in your community, all around to this world the devil is working and here at Revelation chapter 12 we see this presented very clearly today we're going to look at the first six verses of chapter 12 Revelation 12 1 through 6 but I want to remind you where we are chapter 11 at the end of chapter 11 we had the seventh and final trumpet The end of the world, the end of it all is presented at that seventh trumpet at the end of chapter 11. Look at chapter 11, verse 15. You need to know this verse. If you underline or highlight in your Bible, this is one you have to know. It says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's it. When Josh Womble preached, he said this very well may be the most important verse in the entire Bible. There are lots of important verses in the Bible. Let's not compare, but that's a huge statement. He told us that the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Christians have been praying this for thousands of years, God, end it all, make it happen, prepare your kingdom and place us in it. The seventh trumpet says, that happened, that is going to happen. John sees a picture of it, the kingdom of Christ has come. And so in many ways, at the end of chapter 11, we're we're there, we're we're at the end of it all. But the book doesn't end, there's more. There is some understanding from us that, okay, so what happens after that, and what does that look like, and what's it going to be like? And that's coming later in Revelation. But what we have here over the next several sermons, chapters 12, 13, and 14, are kind of a break from that kind of a stepping back from the 11, the seventh trumpet, chapter 11, uh, 1115, the kingdom coming, all right, and now there's going to be some more explanation to some other things, a little more detail, a little more information, okay, there's going to be more understood here, and that's what we're looking at today. Read with me at chapter 12, the first six verses. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. If you've been tracking in Revelation for quite some time, or if you haven't but you're pretty familiar with the story of the Bible, just us reading those six verses kind of inspired you, pumped you up. For you can kind of see what's happening there with the symbolism and with the metaphor. You can kind of pick up on what's going on. Today I hope to explain to you who these characters are. Now the rest of the chapter keeps it going and to be quite honest look at verse 7. Now war arose in heaven. So next week we're going to look, starting at verse 7, of this war that happened in heaven with some of these characters. But Today it's the first six verses and I want to help us understand those three main characters. The woman, the dragon, and the child. If you're a kid using the listening page, it's identifying each of those. Identifying who the woman is, identifying who the dragon is, and identifying the child. And it's broken down uh, pretty easy for us. So the first two verses here are about the woman, identifying the woman. This is uh, another thing that John sees. It's a great sign appeared in heaven. John sees it, right? So this is right after the seventh trumpet, and yet he sees another sign. And this is a woman clothed with the sun, that's powerful, with the moon under her feet, that's interesting, and her head a crown of 12 stars. This is dynamic. This is something big. This is something very meaningful. And verse 2, she was pregnant, was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. So we have here a woman. That's got uh, some, some power and authority and significance to her with the sun and the moon and the, and the crown with 12 stars. And yet she is um, to give birth. She's pregnant. She's to give birth. I want to also ask you to look at verse 6 because it speaks to the woman again. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. So verses 1, 2, and 6 help us understand the woman. Well, if the child, who we're going to talk about at the end, is the Christ and the Savior, then one would first think this woman should be Mary. And it could be. could be Mary. But that seems a little bit too narrow. I want to recommend today that this woman represents the people of God. And the reason why that this woman is the the people of God, Old Testament people of Israel, New Testament, all Israel, everyone that believes, followers of Christ, all those who trust in Christ for salvation. And the reason why is because when the emphasis is seen here that it's the woman, that, that, that the woman is the people of God, then it brings along with it all of the promises throughout history, throughout God's word, that The coming Christ came through God's people. Think about it. God told Eve, all right, that she would have an offspring that would crush the serpent. God told Eve that way back in the Bible. You're familiar with that. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, God told Eve that she would have an offspring that would defeat the devil. That's a promise that we've looked for. That's a promise that people have always looked for. God told Abraham that he would have a son that would rule the nations, that would be the father, that would be the key to all the nations, that would unite all the nations, that would create a family of all the nations. God told David that he would have a son that would be a king like him but greater and would be the king forever. And so throughout the ages, the people of God have always been looking, God, when is that, man? When is that? Life is so hard, all because of Adam and Eve's sin. This week, I was at a funeral and the people working in the funeral home asked me, why do we die? The people working in the funeral home asked me, why do we even die? One of the co-workers said, well, you know it's because of Eve, that's why. Ever since the sin and the beginning of the garden, people have been suffering and struggling through life and making tough decisions and dealing with what the devil's doing in our lives. And yet God has a promise that it won't be so forever. There is one coming that will fix that, that will make that right. There is one coming that will crush the serpent. The Bible is filled with promises that God is sending a Savior that will make all things new. The Bible is filled with promises from God that He would send His one, His Messiah, His promised one that would have a great name, that would be humble and lowly, that would offer up Himself for the sins of the world. All of history is based on, is God going to send a Savior? The Bible is filled with promises that God is going to send a Savior. All of life is to be understood through the hope that one day all of the hardship will be reversed and made right and answered and satisfied through God and His coming salvation. This woman represents the people of God living throughout The promises of God that could produce the Savior. That's what the woman represents. Commentator Fanning says, As verse 5 will clearly state, This woman's child is the one who will rule the whole world if the dragon does not slaughter him first. So you see how important the woman is? The woman represents the people of God in which we got all of the promises. God gave His promises to the world. The book that we read this morning, the book that we so treasure, right? The Word of God that is a lamp to our feet and a light into our path. This book came through the people of God. God gave it to people at different times. We read the stories of God's promises. And it is through God giving the messages and the promises to his people that we get our Savior. In identifying the woman, we recognize the people of God. But the story picks up after verse 2, and it gets worse or more intense. At verse 3, John sees another sign that appeared in heaven. The first one was a woman in verse 1, and the second one is now in verse 3, another sign. And behold, it was a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. So the second character here is the dragon, and we want to identify him lots of commentators right lots of people writing how mythology has been a big deal throughout the history of the world and even before uh, before the bible mythology was a big thing and so there's a lot of people saying hey kudos to the apostle john for this awesome uh imagery that he gives us john recognizing that mythology is easily understood among the people of his day we may not be that into mythology in 2022 But throughout history, there have been a lot of people who have been. John writes here from the vision that he sees, the sign that he gets, God, his people, his coming savior, his opposer, represented as a woman who's pregnant in a dragon, a great red dragon. Well, it's not in our passage today, but it's in the same passage. Look over to verse 9. This is why Bible reading and Bible study is so important if I didn't show you verse 9 and you didn't read ahead and you've never read chapter uh, 12 of Revelation you might have walked out of here today going I'm not so sure if I agree with Josh on that one I I don't I don't like that one. he's just trying to brainwash us we're really not we're really not we're laboring to try to show you what the Bible teaches look at verse 9 and the great dragon was thrown down that ancient serpent who is called the devil and satan the deceiver of the whole world he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him it's not hard to identify who the dragon is is it some of y'all remember all the way back from revelation chapter one we got into lampstands and lights and all those different things right in chapter one and we were going what in the world i'm already confused during the first couple sermons here We just read a little bit later and God explained. Here's what that one is, here's what that one is, and here's what that one is. It's just imagery. It's symbolism for us. And with a little bit of effort and a little bit more attention as we read, God is telling us. The great dragon of chapter 12 that is there to go after the woman and specifically to go after the child of the woman is the devil. The devil's real. The devil is working in the world. Devil, what the devil wants is his own worship. He wants his fame. He wants to be praised. He wants to get his. He wants his glory. He wants recognition. And so some of the times he's working in you to make sure that he gets that, and some of the times he's working in you and in the world to make sure God doesn't get that. So those things go together. It's kind of two sides of the same coin. He wants the glory, and he wants God to not get the glory so that he can get the glory, and the devil's doing that. And that's why sometimes he tries to wreck your life and that's why sometimes he tries to blow up your life in a good way, puff you up, anything that gets you your focus not on God. But we see here that he's described in a impressive way. He's a great red dragon but he's got heads, seven of them, ten horns, and on his heads, seven diadems. Seven is this number of completion. Ten is this number of strength. Heads is this kind of uh, intellect and, and, and the ability to think in ways that are strategic. The devil is that way. Horns are our power and strength. We know that. Ten of them. But just a few weeks ago, when Jake preached, he gave us that good word that the devil is a fraud. Do y'all remember that? I remember him saying that. That stuck with me. I liked him saying that. The devil is a fraud. He will try so hard to make you think that he's good, that he's good for you, this or that, but he's really just a fraud. He's deceptive, he's deceitful, he's a snake. And I want to show you that here. In Revelation chapter five, verse six, we are told that Jesus, has seven horns with seven eyes. See what the dragon's trying to do? Here he's got ten horns. Hey, if Jesus got seven horns, here comes the devil. He's got ten. He's even more strong,
0: more authoritative. He's a fraud. And at
1: Revelation 19, 12, look what it says. This is Jesus again. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are what? Many diadems. You see what the dragon is? The dragon is trying to look like Jesus. He's got heads and horns and diadems and eyes. He's a fraud. And what's happening here is that the devil is trying, quite frankly, and blatantly, to not just do damage to the world, and not just do damage to the people of God, because we know that all people are, are damaged. We are all sinful and fallen short of the glory of God. What we need is redemption and salvation. We need forgiveness from God. We need a second chance. So the devil knows if he can defeat Jesus, he can ruin everything. If he can crush Jesus, he would end it all. If he could put an end to Jesus, do away with God's Savior, that would change everything in the whole world. You remember that the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that if Jesus Christ is not alive, risen from the grave, raised, then we of all people are most to be pitied. If the the devil, can stop, devour, defeat Jesus, he would win in ruining everything for all time. And there we see his focus. Look at the end of verse 4. Wild scene. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might
0: devour it. The devil knows
1: the glory of Jesus, His holiness, His goodness, His divinity. The devil knows that his purpose in leaving heaven and coming to earth is to die for the sins of the world, to obediently fulfill the plan of God for all time. And the devil knows if he can stop that. and So he's right there ready. Now this is some imagery, isn't it? This is some imagery. But I want to remind you that when this was actually happening, King Herod was raging, making command to kill every child two years and under. You remember that? We bring that up at the Christmas story. So literally, there was an effort in the world to kill this baby. The devil desired that. Tom Schreiner writing about this says, the nations and the ends of the earth are his inheritance. In other words, the blessing promised to Abraham for the nations will become a reality through the Davidic king. Listen to this. The dragon fiercely desired to slay this son, knowing this child spelled demise. Remarkably, John skips Jesus' ministry and death. Instead he moves the story to Jesus' exaltation when he was snatched up to God and his throne. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, but listen. John transports us to the end of the story, showing his audience Jesus' triumph over the dragon. The audience is not in the dark about Jesus' life and ministry. They know that he died, but they are reminded that he conquered the dragon when he rose from the dead and ascended to take his seat at God's right hand. The dragon here is trying to stop the baby from coming, trying to stop the baby from living, and yet we see what happens. Look back at verse 4. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so when she bore her child he might devour it. Now in our scripture reading earlier that Matt read, we read just one verse from the Gospel of John, John chapter 10, verse 10. This is in the passage where Jesus is using the I am statements. There's two I am statements in chapter 10. I am the good shepherd and I am the door. When Jesus talks about being the shepherd, there's a lot there. He leads the sheep, protects the sheep, dies for the sheep, lays down his life for the sheep. He is the shepherd that the sheep are to follow. We've been reminded of that with Psalm 23 each and every Sunday. The Lord is my shepherd and he leads us. But in that passage in John chapter 10 is where Jesus also says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And then he says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. What a verse, what a word, what one single sentence from Jesus that teaches us so much. Here in Revelation 12, The dragon before the woman seeking to devour her child. We see him trying to do that very thing. And what he tries to do to Jesus, he tries to do to us. There are lots of scenarios in life where we are thinking, man, this is just so hard. This is so challenging. And again, some of that is our own fault. We need to learn to do better at life. Make better decisions. Be more disciplined and responsible. Prepare better and all of that. We also need to hear this morning. There's something spiritual going on inside the world too. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, Ephesians said. The devil is at work. The devil wants your marriage to be rocky. The devil wants your parenting to be ugly. Wants to bring division. The devil wants our country to be so divided. The devil wants us to get so discouraged that we give up on the good things. The devil wants us to be so discouraged that we give up on the author of the good things. The devil wants us to be so hurt from killing us and stilling us and destroying it in us that we wouldn't believe that there's one that gives life and gives it abundantly, that we would lose hope or belief. That there's a god that cares and it's making all of this right you see this here with the, the dragon's desire to ultimately kill the coming one and we see this in our lives day to day that life is hard disruption is real offense happens sin is real and the dragon here is the author behind it all the first person to identify is the woman. The second person to identify is the dragon. And the third to identify is the child. Look at verse 5. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. That's only a half of a verse there, but we know who that is, do we not? And the reason why we think that the woman is the people of God is because of all those promises that come along with the people of God throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Bible with the message. And the reason why that matters so much is because when the child is identified here in verse 5, he's identified as fulfilling all of those things. He's the one who would come, the male child. He's the one that is to rule. He's the one that is to rule all the nations. He's the one that is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And that terminology, that vocabulary, that description is exactly what the Old Testament has been giving us time and time again. Josh Womble took us to Psalm 2, but I want to take you back to Psalm 2 so that you can see this again. Look at Psalm 2, the second psalm.
0: Psalm 2,
1: it begins with, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. This here is a picture of the nations of the world just raging against God. But if you'll jump down to verse 7 listen to this telling from god this decree in the midst of a world that rages under the influence of the devil okay in the midst of a world that rages against god okay under the influence of the devil god says this in verses 7 through 9 i will tell of the decree the lord said to me you are my son, okay? So here's, a, here's, the, here's the birth of a male child. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. Okay, Revelation 12, 5 says the nations. And the ends of the earth your possession. And you shall break them with a rod of iron. There's the rod. So if you look back to Revelation chapter 12, you can see here in verse 5 that what we have is the woman giving birth to the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, the promised one. The whole Old Testament and the history of the world leading up to Christ was longing and hurting and groaning and looking to, is God going to do something? Is there an answer? Because just helping yourself and just trying to do better does not remove your sins. It doesn't cleanse your conscience. It doesn't remove your guilt and shame. We need something more than that. We need God to do something. And when Jesus came, God was doing it. And when he died on the cross, the whole world recognized it, right? The, the, the sky turned black and an earthquake happened, and even the people that crucified him said, truly, this was the Son of God. When Christ died on the cross, he was doing the fulfillment, the obedience of the single thing God wanted to do to save the whole world. He came to do that. They buried him in the grave, and he rose again, and he lives now. He showed himself to people and he ascended up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God and he is on the throne now. And Revelation has already given us seven or several examples of him being on the throne and beside his father who is on the throne. He reigns. And verse 5 tells us that that woman gave birth to that Savior. But there's a little bit more in verse 5. Look what it says. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. There's a lot there, right? So immediately, bam, he was caught up. The dragon didn't get him. Praise the Lord for that, right? The devil wanted to end Jesus right there, but he couldn't. He was immediately caught up to God. He's safe, all is well. But then it even says that he was caught up to God and to his throne. And there's a lot, a lot to think about here. Is this referring to the resurrection? Probably so. Is the throne referring to the ascension? Probably so. There's a lot to think about here. What aspects of the life of Jesus is this referring to? Commentator Easley says that during the days of Jesus' earthly life, the devil's struggle to stamp him out is evident. Through Herod's slaughter of the Bethlehem babies and through the crucifixion, we look back at the cross as being so incredibly important. We just sang when I survey the cross, right? We love what the cross is for us, but may you never forget that the crucifixion is one of the worst ways to die. It is awful, it is humility, humiliating, and it is for the worst of criminals. And Jesus went through that for us, but he went through that because they hated him and they wanted to kill him. They were trying to get rid of him. They were trying to make it where God's not true. They were trying to make it where he's not the king. They were trying to make it where he would be gone, out of sight, out of mind, and let's be done with him. But it was through that that the devil was working, and it was through that that God defeated the devil. This is what's happening with the child. Wilcock writes, the important facts in this summary are the nativity and the ascension obviously nativity because of the birth right the important facts in this summary are the nativity and the ascension that he went back the point at which the Son himself first came within the dragons grasp and the point at which he finally escaped it forever that's good isn't it the point at which he First came within the dragon's grasp, so the birth, because the dragon's right there ready to devour him. And the point at which he finally escaped the dragon forever, the ascension. Remember, it is finished. And he left and he sat down and he reigns. And we know that this book tells us that he's coming back one day to end it all. That's who the child is. You look back to verse 6 right after verse 5, and it adds one more comment to the woman. It says, once, the, once she gave birth and the male child was uh, uh, caught up to God into his throne, the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. And This is simply referring to the, to the church age, the time in between Christ's first coming and second coming where the people are in the wilderness, but God's got it under control. If anybody is in Christ, he's safe. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus.
0: And nothing can snatch us out of his hands. And yet, we
1: long, we long for heaven. This is what we get in verse 6 here a picture of the first coming until the second coming, the people in the wilderness, and yet the child being safe, but not only safe, grown and victorious. And the reigning authoritative King. This takes me back to the many scenes in the New Testament where Jesus is not scared. There's a lot of fear that comes into the life of of a human being and a lot of fear quite frankly that comes into the life of a believer although God tells us over and over again to not be afraid. But when we study the life of Jesus and we read the stories about him, he was never afraid. Things didn't upset him. The devil had no power over him. Jesus wasn't. We are to understand from this passage
0: that life is hard, that the devil is real, but the very focus of the devil trying to
1: stop Jesus, he did not succeed at. And the one who defeated the devil, Jesus our Savior, is the one who comforts us the one who saves us and keeps us we are to find our strength in that I want to read to you from a new kids book I've got this was given to us as a gift and it's a little pilgrims progress it's the little pilgrims big journey this comes out of truth for life a ministry from pastor Alistair Begg and it is really 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 good If you want to order this for your kids or grandkids please do, Little Pilgrim's Big Journey. The subtitle says, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress Fully Illustrated and Adapted for the Next Generation. If you don't know about Pilgrim's Progress, it's an allegory. It's a story that symbolizes the Christian life. I want to read to you just a few pages. This is the part where Christian, who's been saved and is on his way to heaven, is going through the valley of humiliation the way an allegory works is everything you're reading is something that you can relate to in your life okay I'm gonna read just a few pages because it fits so well with what we're doing today so Christian descended into the valley of humiliation dark clouds filled the sky and he saw a foul fiend flying over the field to meet him he knew that it must be Apollyon that's the devil Christian was terrified. He wondered if he should turn and run, but he had no armor protecting his back, and Apollyon could easily attack him there. Christian had never seen anything so monstrous. Apollyon had thick scales and wings like a dragon and a huge, sharp teeth. He was full of fire and smoke. Apollyon glared at Christian, where do you think you are going? I'm going to the celestial city, Christian said bravely. I've come from the evil city of destruction. Well, I am the lord of the city of destruction, said Apollyon. You must return to serve me again. I will never go back, Christian replied. I serve the true king now and I follow his path. Apollyon laughed at him. But you don't really serve the king. You disobeyed him many times. First you fell into the bog of despair. Then you strayed from the path. You were lazy. You slept too long. And you almost turned back when you saw the lions. You don't seem to love the king at all. Christian answered, all of this is true. And there's much more that you left out. But the prince whom I serve is merciful and ready to forgive all who turned to him. Apollyon broke out into a rage. I'm an enemy to that prince. I hate him. I hate his laws, and I hate his people. I'll never let you pass through here alive. Christian held up his shield and his sword. My king has given me everything I need to defeat you. Apollyon blasted fire upon Christian, but Christian held up his shield and fought valiantly. They fought for hours and Christian grew weary. Apollyon knocked him to the ground and the sword fell from his hand. I'll finish this fight now, Apollyon said. Apollyon raised himself over Christian to strike one last deadly blow. Christian picked up his sword and lifted it with all of his strength and he said, Rejoice not against me, my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. He thrust his sword into Apollyon's chest. Apollyon was wounded, then Christian struck him again. Yes, said Christian, in all these things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. At this last blow, Apollyon let out a terrible roar. Stretching out his wings,
0: he flew away. Good book, huh? This is a story that
1: encapsulates so much the life that you and I are living. A devil that so badly doesn't want you to have hope and life A devil that so badly wants to take peace and joy from your lives. His biggest strategy is to stop Jesus, but he failed at that. And until his very, very last day, he just tries to destroy us. May you today be encouraged that the child that was born was caught up. He's in heaven, he's on
0: the throne. And the way he got there. Was through this earth,
1: this life, so that he could save you. May you find strength and hope by trusting in Jesus. Turn to him, ask him for the forgiveness of sins. Believe him, hope in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the identity of the woman, the dragon, and the child. We thank you, God, that the child is the Savior. Of the world, our Savior. God, there are times when life just seems to beat us down so much, and we are reminded of how much we hate sin and ugliness and the devil. And yet, dear God, we have your promises that you've already defeated him, and there is comfort. Oh, Father, strengthen us today to not be beat down by the devil. Strengthen us today to not be distracted and discouraged away from the devil, God. Strengthen us today that Jesus Christ is the king, the victorious king over sin, death, and the devil. And may we trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we respond here at the end of the song, I want
0: to ask you to...